0: Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is a man who believes in the right to bear arms, unless it's the right to bear arms in church, Zach Mabry. And, also joining us, the freshly minted author, Inside the Catholic Herald, Writer extraordinaire Carrie Helmick, how are you two doing?
1: Doing really well, thank you. it's so, well. good
0: to you. You guys. It's, so <laughs> it's so good to what? Sleeve you guys. Oh, is that a bear arms thing?
2: Yeah, I always have to try to come up with, uh, you know, something uh, to answer back to the cold opens. I don't know.
1: My American government teacher liked to call the Second Amendment the one about arming bears.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's the way I like to look at it. That's my preferred that's my second amendment. If you want to tell us what your second amendment is, you can do that <laughs> on Twitter. Uh we're at Roman Circus Pod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry, Z A C Mabry Carrie is at Carrie Helmick. You can email us podcast at Roman com. Find us on Patreon, patreon dot com slash Roman Circus Pod we're on apple podcast just search roman circus podcast and we are there we're also anywhere else you can find us all right how are we gang what's going on zach carrie did you have a good week
1: uh it's been pretty good glad it's the weekend though
0: mm-hmm. my uh my week
2: was going well and then uh i uh i i goofed the podcast as as you guys know by uh waiting for it to start in my uh, my recliner and then waking up and thinking, oh my gosh, this was supposed to start 45 minutes ago. Um,
0: it's all right. But- but- Carrie and I bonded during that time. We got some really good Carrie and Matt time and we made use of it.
2: Yeah, oh, You guys definitely. are going to be better
0: friends with each other than with me. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I want to back up and talk about this recliner that Zach has.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Like some kind of old retired guy.
0: It is. Oh, yeah. It is very much how it is. He, like if you've seen him in action in the recliner, he he embraces the fullness of the recliner. He does not let it go to so waste. So it's a, it's a
2: wingback. It, it is a it is a wingback recliner. That at first it just looks like a chair, but then you lean back and it does recline. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I have my little like portable desk thing that like sits as a lap. Like, it, yeah, no, it, it's completely a uh, retirement home friendly.
0: Yeah. He Amazing. Ho- he hopes to one day bring it to the retirement home. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, uh, I have some news stories for you. I, I found some, do you, you, interested in some news on the, on the Raising Helmix podcast, the Carrie and Kyle Helmix, they, they say what's on the docket. And it is a very great way of, Saying what's in the news as opposed to me just kinda of saying, Zach, what's in the news? Um, oh I like I
1: like what's in the news. I like I like that intro to the segment.
0: Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bring in bring in podcasts together. Hey, watch out. If you were in Southern California, a female teenager visiting from New Zealand brought over the measles gang. This is a oh no, yeah, so she flew from New Zealand to Los Angeles with the measles and then visited Los Angeles with the measles, okay, so she stayed at the Desert Palms Hotel on Catella. Are you familiar with that, Carrie?
1: No, I rarely go to l a
0: no, on Catella, so it was right by Disney,
1: oh, right, okay.
0: So she, Sheesh, so,
1: Disneyland is the worst place to take measles. They already had measles there.
0: Oh yeah, no. They the the thing is they they had it once and they got an extra dose with this with this gal. So she was in Disneyland. Then she trucked it up to Hollywood, where she went to Universal Studios, and the Chinese Theater and Madame Tussauds, which when I lived there was a half mile away. I could have been I could have been right there in Measles Town. I could have unknowingly suffered from the measles. Then she went to the farmer's market in the Santa Monica Pier. So the, the fun part about bringing measles to L.A. is, with if you're a tourist, is you tend to go to the most touristy areas, which is where the most people are. So, you know, uh, best of luck to everyone involved. Uh, and hopefully no one got the measles from this lady.
1: This is exactly why I had Joseph vaccinated early for the measles. You mm. can give your baby a measles vaccine, I Think as young as six months. I was going to ask in the womb. mm, Unfortunately, no. Actually, (laughs) there's a there's a vaccine for German measles, or it's called rubella, that you actually are not supposed to get pregnant because that can be really dangerous for your baby, even if you get the like very weak version that's in the vaccine. Oh wow! But anyway, you can. once they're six months old, you can give them like a starter measles vaccine. They don't usually get the one until they're a year old. But mm-hmm. if you do the early one, they're like, Well you'll have to give them the one at one years old too. And I'm like, Yeah, sounds great. We're literally going to LAX. I want him to have the measles vaccine. Thank you very much. Yeah. So she knew she Not knew good she month had the measles for a
2: down under. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know she if, knew
1: she had the measles and didn't let it cancel her like hollywood funland trip
0: i I'm very unclear on that i i don't know if i don't know if like she got if she didn't wasn't full blown measles yet uh when mm-hmm. she was flying over right but um yeah i you know it it's distressing and hopefully hopefully Disneyland is not just a petri dish for measles now
1: well, I have even less motivation to go to Disneyland now.
2: <laughs> so, Carrie, can we do that thing where we ask, like, probing questions about motherhood and parenting? Because I, I have a question.
1: Okay, go for it.
2: Okay, so did Joseph, was he vaccinated for measles or original sin first? Like, which which vaccine did he get first?
1: <laughs> uh, he got the original sin vaccine first because that one he was let's let me see if I can remember he had to have been maybe two or three weeks
2: old Mm oh okay
1: yeah and I don't think I can't remember they get some shots and I don't remember the doctor's like here's the schedule and I say okay I
0: so I honestly
1: (laughs) Like, some parents agonize over it, and they're like, well, maybe we should delay this one or whatever. And I'm just like, all right, if this is what the pediatrician and the hospital are saying, then it's totally fine by me. Mm -hmm. So I honestly couldn't really tell you. Um, But I definitely knew about the baptism one. I had to arrange that. They did not offer it at the pediatrician.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, I had to go somewhere else for that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's what I think is what's wrong with America today is we don't offer baptisms at the pediatrician. One day, so true, Matt. One day mm-hmm. in the in- so true. integralist monarchic state, Catholic state, we will offer, we will offer baptisms at the pediatrician. Uh, so speaking of religion, Satanists they want to they want religious freedom, guys. The Satanists they uh, they want to put up their statue of that crazy horned horse monster sitting on a chair. And they want to do it because the, uh, if the Ten Commandments are being offered, or giving a, pri- uh, giving a place in front of the Oklahoma State Capitol building, they want to be able to put their crazy horseman statue up there too. Uh, mm. I think this has kind of been brewing for a while. But, uh, you know, they say it's, it's very important because they want to keep the U.S. a secular country. And they don't want the Ten Commandments to uh, be taken over. What do we think? What do we got on that? What do we, we got any uh, hot takes?
2: I, I think it is sad to see like a Jewish monument being uh, you know treated like this during this kind of this moment in history but <laughs> right. um, again I mean you, you just can't really control how some people behave.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Where did you say they want to put the statue?
0: Uh, it's out in front of the Oklahoma State Capitol where the Ten Commandments are. Zach, this is kind wow. of your territory. Do you have any insight?
2: Basically, it's very dramatic, guys. Like, it is literally a tablet, and I, I will point out they're numbered incorrectly. They have the Protestant numbering. Oh, that's um, not good. But like, what I don't know, if people realize this, but the Ten Commandments, from a civil law standpoint, is is one of the earliest and most endearing. Uh, Examples of people coming together and having a written code that they all agreed to abide by. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because people will talk about what's the other one? Uh, Like Hammurabi's code? Yeah, the code of Hammurabi. So no one knew what that was 100 years ago until they dug it up. So, like, again, like, people are like, well, that one should be what it is. And it's like, right, but like, that's a discovery. So, like, its influence is somewhat limited. Since people wouldn't have heard of it, and it wasn't shaping society directly two hundred years ago, um, that that's my take on it. Is that like they these were also the civil laws of an ancient people? The fact that they do mention God, you know, I mean, the Irish Constitution mentions God still. So you know, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a really dramatic issue to freak out about. Mm-hmm.
0: But people like being dramatic. We're nothing. We're nothing if not dramatic. Well, and, and I
2: don't know if people know this, but like. I think we're all used to knowing lots of, like, atheists and agnostics, and, like, it's not that big of a deal. But um, Oklahoma's kind of in the Bible Belt, and when you're an atheist or an agnostic in the Bible Belt, you love to talk about it, and you love to talk about how stupid religious people are and how hypocritical they are. So whenever this issue happens, my whole Facebook will be all these people, like, Wow, guys, read the Constitution. Separation of church and state. Like, I grew up in the Bible Belt, and I'm almost laughing because I'm like, okay, you weren't like, you weren't like persecuted by angry Baptists. Like, you just went to Bible school and they gave you food. Like, I don't, you know. Um, But it's like I'm an atheist in the Bible Belt. It's like, okay, yeah, there's there's still like millions of you. You realize this, right? Like statistically, it's not like, yes, you guys are a small piece of the whole but like not revolutionary you know Mm -hmm.
1: but zach sometimes people might even say merry christmas to them so i think we need to have a little bit more empathy for how difficult their situation is
2: oh oh that is that is a whole that's a whole thing
0: too okay get into it we let's talk about like we brought carry on for a specific purpose but i think this might dovetail into it so let's go with it (laughs) Well, because, you know, you used to be able to be like, oh, hi, Merry Christmas. Mm-hmm.
2: And people are like, oh, thanks, Merry Christmas to you, too. Now it's like, Merry Christmas? Sorry to offend you. <laughs> and it's like.
1: <sighs> Zach, and you have the recliner to match. Like, this is incredible.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, that's so good. No, I'm, I'm, yeah.
2: no, I'm saying, like, no, I, I'm talking to the people that say it. Like, they they, can't just wish you Merry Christmas anymore. It's got to be like. I'm wishing you Merry Christmas because you know. I mean, that's it's right. like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: like to own the list. I did laugh.
2: Yeah, like it, it, now it's I don't know. It sort of run the whole thing, and so I, I always think it's funny that they say Happy Holidays on, on like other holidays like Fourth of July and stuff. <laughs> uh huh.
1: That's a really good bit.
2: But, but like the, uh, I don't know the Merry Christmas thing. The debate around it has, like, made it so obnoxious that time of year again because people can't – now they, they can't just say Merry Christmas. They have to say Merry Christmas. We have to, right. we have to
0: get outraged if out, outraged if Starbucks doesn't give uh, Christmas cups or whatever.
2: I spent – okay, that is a whole another thing. 2015, there's this whole ordeal about Starbucks turning their cups plain red mm-hmm. and how this is some – all these Christians are mad about it. I spent hours following the hashtag on this back then and found could not find a single person bothered by it. All I could find was people saying how ridiculous it is that Christians are mad about this. And I'm like, okay, I'm offering a finder's fee for any Christian that's mad about this. I will pay you $50 if you come forward. Well,
0: this just Please. This just,
2: like, I, I couldn't find it.
0: This just goes back to our episode a few weeks ago, how we... Talked about how like they're they're, everything is not everything is manufactured. Out the outrage is completely manufactured. Most in most every case,
1: right. And now it's become a it's become a meme now that I think is actually really funny. Like there was a girl who who posted a selfie wearing a hijab like on a merry-go-round or something like that, and she captioned it like, "Who says Muslim girls don't like merry-go-rounds?" And And it became this whole huge thing because everyone was like,
0: I love "Oh my that. gosh,
1: no one said that!" And so it's—I <laughs> think it's really, really funny. It's uh, such a good bit now.
0: That is really good.
2: I have a very strong, like, no boycotting policy. Yes, if if a product was perhaps made by slave labor or something, I mean, and I then I definitely wouldn't buy it and further that. But like, every time the Starbucks thing ramps up, I'm like, guys, I'm I'm not. Like I'm gonna go to Starbucks the same amount of times I was gonna go before, which (laughs) might be none. But like I'm not changing my behavior. And then when the Netflix thing happens, I think we talked about that on our. Oh, that kind of ties into this because that was our last episode where we talked about libertarianism. And I was like, yeah, I'm not canceling my Netflix because I don't want to even pretend that that's doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, but I'm also not gonna go to Chick Fil A to own the libs, like. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A when I want Chick-fil-A. I'm going to go to Starbucks when I want Starbucks. And those are not doing things except buying coffee and chicken, people. Sorry. Yeah. I'm ranting.
1: Circling back way to where this all started, which is the the statue of Satan on the Oklahoma Mm -hmm. Capitol or whatever. Right. I think think that they should go ahead and put up their goofy statue because juxtaposed against the Ten Commandments – Literally, it could be the goofiest, most, like, Pinteresty Protestant Ten Commandments, like, live, laugh, love, flowery poster ever. And it would still look more stately and dignified than, like, whatever horn, horned, horny guy they thought was going to, like, have an equal bearing. Right. So they're really owning themselves here, is my take.
0: Yeah, people are, like, I, people are going to want to get pictures with it, but mainly just in jest, Right. Like, uh, like having a, having a laugh at the old horned man, sta- horned horse statue.
1: Right, it's just going to be little the the character, which like no more than Satanists themselves could possibly ever do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that was what, the only one time I saw a uh, a picture of one of these statues. That was like the protest like demon statues and i was like honestly it kind of whips like i don't know like i i want to take a picture in front of it i'm you know i'm like hoping that that somehow the statue itself doesn't evoke evil which i'm sure it probably could spiritually but um i mean i still want juxtaposed to the ten commandments maybe a correctly numbered ten commandments right
0: yeah if we're if we're gonna have them out there can we at least have them numbered correctly what's the one where, where do they have them numbered incorrectly
2: they get off track really early because I'm trying. I think I want to say it because by the time that we get to the fourth commandment, which is honor um, your father, father and mother, mother, right? I believe that's already like their fifth commandment.
0: <laughs> they just, they just. If you don't, if you
2: they no well, they don't look, they weren't numbered on the original
0: tablets. Mm-hmm. Don't don't look too carefully, like, otherwise you'll notice that there's eleven commandments. Well, and that's what. Hold on.
2: Now I need to know. Because, like, I know that our third commandment is Sundays. Because um, there's these nuns that do devotions specifically to, like, remind people to follow the third commandment and, like, make it super important. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, okay, one, which one is that? Like, is that blasphemy? Um,
1: well, so, Zach looks that up. I've got a story about worshiping on the Sabbath. Okay. I got this... I got this book in the mail like not a flyer or like a booklet folded or whatever but a legitimate bound book that was uh, published by the Seventh Day Adventists. Oh boy. <laughs> and I started flipping through it and their biblical exegesis is like so freaking hilarious. I almost kept the book be- just, and I kind of wish I had because it was just so funny. But I ha- I hadn't realized before that their whole deal is that We're supposed to be worshiping on Saturdays. And um, this book was going into all the Bible verses that prove why. And it went so far as to say that worship on Sundays is the mark of the beast Hmm. that the Catholic Church and many Protestant churches have all fallen into. And you can tell that they're, you know, they're evil and they're not true Christians because they worship on Sundays instead of the correct Sabbath. And I was just like, this is incredible. Is amazing.
2: That's- I I love you the, the I love those types of things. Like it falls into this whole genre of like I found something in the Bible that that was totally missed by two thousand years of people. Right. And actually from day one, Christians had it wrong, and I am gonna fix it.
1: Exactly. It'll be like this verse in Ecclesiastes talks about the sun. And this verse in John talks about worship, and this verse in Revelation talks about animals and labor. And by all that, I can prove that like, if you're not going to church on Saturdays, then you're definitely going to hell. Hmm. Like, oof.
0: Hate, yeah, that's right. Hate to see it, fam.
2: Hate to <laughs> see it. Hate to see it. One thing I had heard, I know this is weird, but... uh, Well, wait, because our Lord resurrected on... Saturday, on Sunday, sorry. Right, and that's Um, when the shift happened. Ooh.
1: Is my understanding that now we're commemorating the resurrection.
2: Yeah, and it was actually a whole week shift, because, like, I don't know, this part has kind of fallen off, but, like, you know, traditionally for Catholics, days of penance were Wednesday and Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. and, And then, you know, Sunday is the obligatory mass day. Well, um previously, during under biblical Judaism, um the days of penance were Tuesday and Thursday. So literally like everything shifted a day, which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah, you guys are like, fascinating. <laughs> um, okay I figured out where the Protestants number their stuff differently.
0: Okay.
2: So they have one, thou shalt, you know, no thou shalt have no other gods before me. Then they have two of "Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we we roll that into have no other gods before me. right. Then three is take the Lord's name in vain. Four is the Sabbath. Five is
0: honor thy father and mother. Do they like um, combine the sixth and the ninth, or what are they? Let's see. Six, their six is "Thou shalt not kill." Thou shalt not commit adultery,
2: thou shalt not steal, nine is false witness. Oh yeah, they combine 9 and 10. So basically, whereas we have 9 um covet thy neighbor's spouse and 10 covet thy neighbor's goods, mm-hmm. they combine those together
0: just to an all-encompassing do not covet. My I Right, cuz what is the
1: wife other than the goods of the neighbor? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was what I was going to say. I was like, you know, that is such a good, like, take on this. Yeah. My assumption is they did it so they could try to make the whole Second Commandment, like, in sort of an iconoclasm thing. Like, my, gotcha. my guess, it, it, that is a completely, un, like, uninformed guess. But, like, as you've yes, seen, Protestants don't people. typically, you know, historically, they have not had the the most... You don't see a lot of people lining up to tour old Protestant churches, we'll just say. And so I, I don't know if that was like a own the Catholics by, you know, splitting out that... splitting that commandment in two and being like, it is so important that you guys not have these beautiful statues.
0: Hmm. <laughs> no, that sounds... Yeah, know. that sounds... That sounds good to me.
1: Did That's you guys see the tweet... Did you guys see the tweet about um, someone posted, like, a picture of a page from a Bible that had, like, it was clearly typed in fonts, but it was meant to look like it was annotated by, like, different teenagers in different handwriting with their thoughts about the text, like, line by line?
0: Like a teenager's guide to the Bible type thing?
1: Yeah, it was like a teen's Bible, but then at least three on the page that I saw... It, it, the the Bible was formatted to look like different teenagers had come along and written marginalia about their thoughts. And the the best one, the the super funny one, was I can't remember a verse from the New Testament about how love is laying down our lives for each other. And some some guy signed PB was like, "Wow, that's not usually what I think of when I." hear the word love, at least when I tell my girl I love her, I don't think I'd die for her. Hope she doesn't read this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <What>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, this was legitimately right. in a PB, Protestant PB, if you're out there,
2: <laughs> if PB is listening, you can, we want you on this podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. PB. We really have to know more about, like, what the Protestants are up to with this one.
0: Yeah.
2: And we do appreciate that as a teen that you're practicing emotional Chastity.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Very important.
0: Okay, so.
2: So what? today's topic is the marital debt. <laughs> Just kidding. Zach, please. Please. My favorite thing I've ever seen on that was Matt's topic where he said, You guys know that the. What did you say? The marital debt is interest free, which means it's actually not interesting to talk about or something?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, unlike, unlike other debts, the marital de- Debt is unique because it has no interest, meaning it's not an interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Can
2: I make a point on the topic, though, like a, a, a for real? Sure. Not on the topic itself, on the discussion. So th- this discussion that plays out on these types of issues, and this also happens with natural family planning and other thing, where everybody's getting so into this. Mm-hmm. And people are like, well, traditionally, this is how... And So traditionally everything to do with the sixth commandment even in seminaries would not even translated into the vernacular so like even the textbook in the seminaries no matter what language the whole rest of the book was in mm-hmm. the section on the sixth commandment was in latin because they didn't want people reading this and just dis- i'm like guys the least traditional thing you could possibly do is try to litigate this kind of stuff publicly like it just it's indecent to be diving into you know i mean you can be informative but it's just odd when people are like like trying to quote these like ancient or not ancient but like you know older manuals and it's like that manual would the chapter that you're quoting like would never have been translated into the vernacular because they wouldn't want lay they they didn't want lay people debating this stuff you know it just it's a weird topic to go into Mm -hmm. so that's all i was gonna say
0: yeah no that sounds uh that sounds spot on to me
2: so yeah it doesn't it doesn't qualify you don't qualify as normal and cool if you uh go around policing those types of issues
0: okay so uh roughly two months ago maybe we there was a big dust up uh, about uh between sorab amari and David French and all their people about traditional liberalism and whatever the other thing is and we had Stephanie Slade we had friend of the show Stephanie Slade on to talk about libertarianism oh I should have I should have put a explicit warning before we started cussing because kids kids are listening sorry we will be saying libertarianism a bunch so please shield shield the ears of your children Uh, but we had Stephanie on and she kind of gave us a rundown of why that why she believes that that is all compatible with Catholicism. And the wonderful Carrie Helmick was like, can I please come on? Because I would like to talk about liberalism and why it is not compatible with Catholicism. And we said, absolutely. And here we are. So where, where do you want to start, Carrie? You're the guest. You're, you're the one who wanted to chat about this. So what, what do you think is a good starting point for this?
1: thank you very much for having me on and being willing to continue this dialogue about libertarianism (laughs) again
0: well we wanted
2: more Um, like libertarianism. yeah
1: (laughs) i mean zach's not wrong i actually wondered if we wanted to start by maybe clarifying uh, the definitions here. How much Absolutely. you think your
2: audience yeah, is Yeah, I would like
0: to define terms and like put a fence around. Always, the words. I always like starting off defining terms.
1: Okay, I th- I think you've said before on the podcast that your your listeners are are at least somewhat fluent in the idea of classical liberalism being determined f- being a distinct from the liberals as your grandpa knows them.
0: Right. So there's the idea is that classical liberalism is more of a political ideology and lib- and the kooky liberals are like actually more of a group of people, right?
1: Right. The liberals are the people clustered in hipster coffee shops all talking about how excited they are to vote for Joe Biden.
0: <laughs> exactly. And oddly enough, there are people doing that. I don't understand <laughs> it, but you know, it's okay.
1: Neither do I.
2: It is interesting because, like, when when we talk, when we say liberalism, that's what we're referring to classical liberalism, like the overall system. Um, and so, like, within that is the conservatives. And so, whenever a conservative complains about liberals, I just always kind of laugh because I'm like, yeah. I just feel like it's odd because, like, so much of what you guys are. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, but the, um, that's the
0: thing. Like the National Review and those types of people, and they a lot of them are very conservative, and they but they also openly like you know brag about being classical liberals. It gets very confusing. It like they we we get so locked into separating people into cert, under certain umbrellas that then they kind of intermix, and it all becomes kind of you know it it just becomes weird
2: i liked i liked whoever started coining kind of left liberals and right liberals so if we're talking about you know sean hannity and uh uh paul ryan or something you know that would be a right liberal Mm -hmm. and if we're talking about um joe biden joe biden or Kamala Harris. Well, no, sorry, Kamala Harris is a fascist. But um, (laughs) if we're talking about uh, um, Joe Biden, you know, uh, Barack Obama, we're talking kind of about left liberals, and that's not to say because we're because from our vantage point, the you know the conservatives, quote unquote, aren't conservative enough. Like we're saying, like looking at this as a as a spectrum, like they're on the same. Spectrum. They're just on different sides of it. But then, like, there's more to the world. Than, because it, that's what I was like, you know, guys, the issue with liberalism is, as a word to describe a system, is, like, people, I think, were unaware that there even needed to be a word to describe it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is just how things are.
1: The way conservatives are liberal is that... Conservatives are holding to traditional political beliefs and doctrines that emerged like in the seventeenth century and have inf- and were hugely influential in the way like America was like put together in the first place right so by conservative, they want to adhere to the tra- tradition of people who at the time were fairly radically liberal in their ideas about like the centering of the individual and the importance of freedom and and free will in governance mm-hmm so there's a lot okay. of like back and forth and nesting within each other in terms that sound contradictory but um, within our history actually have flown fairly directly from each other
2: and you know you see a lot of that too with like laissez-faire economics um, free speech, free thought, free press like all that kind of stuff the wall of separation between church and state like you don't really you know that that that's like textbook conservative view like the you know like the american conservative movement and so that's where we're saying again it's not like like people you know more str- like strict conservatives you know if your grandparents are super conservative they'll look at other moderate conservatives and be like oh well you know mike pence is a liberal he you know not not mike pence that became impossible but you know <laughs> some somebody from i don't know lindsey graham they're like oh he's a liberal again this this isn't saying that like because they're further to the you know left or right um also you guys want to know a fun fact always um in the french parliament during the french revolution the reactionaries did sit on the right and the revolutionaries sat on the left and that is the origin of the left right paradigm of like i learned that from the um revolutions podcast huh but yeah i also have recently really started liking the term reactionary right because like when you look at issues conservatives today push they're like completely foreign to what conservatives even 50 years ago push and so it, it is if you consider it more as a sort of reactionary response to what you know essentially their opponents are serving up and so i've i've kind of appreciated that word
1: Yeah, liberalism encompasses both sides of the modern American political dichotomy fairly well. The Democrats are more known for their socially liberal issues, and the Republicans have become more known for their economically liberal issues. But when it comes to mainstream candidates, they're basically all liberals, um, because they all believe um, in a great deal of economic freedom and like I said before, the centering of the individual and their right to do any number of things as being like what, what the ultimate goal of our body politic is, is to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so let's, uh, let's, let's get into it here.
2: So actually, sorry, um, not to cut you off, Matt. So then what, if we're saying again, if we're saying that liberalism includes conservatives and liberals as you know the sort of Fox News, CNN definition, um, what what would be something that's not liberalism? Just to like help people kind of think. Well, integralism, but that's well, it, what something we'll get to that one. Is there any other ones?
1: Well, I mean, I'm here to argue that Catholicism is antithetical to liberalism even though Catholicism has no real home or or real space where we can possibly exist in um modern political theory. It just we don't fit anywhere very well. We don't make sense anywhere very well.
0: Right. And some of, I mean, that's a lot of it is by design. That's kind of what we're called to do. But... Yeah. Sorry. Right, continue.
1: for sure. So if you if well, you look
0: the,
2: yeah.
1: well, if you look at the way the Catholic uh, worldview is laid out, you'll I find it to be extremely illiberal, mm-hmm. and it is for me like the starting point of where you can understand the, the issues of liberalism. I don't know if that answers your question, though, Zach.
2: I think that it does. Um, I was just trying to like figure out a frame of reference for people because it's like liberalism can be a lot of things. And so just sort of something that isn't liberalism um, is sort of what maybe like China, for instance, is not there. It's, it's an illiberal state.
1: Yeah, probably. Is that correct? I, but liberalism, I mean, I was just looking at the, the Wikipedia um, article and it, it just said liberalism is the doctrine of like freedom and human rights, which is not a very apt definition, but it does kind of go to show that we're like fish who can't define water right like it's really hard to get a grasp on a political theory that has soaked so much of america just from long before the, the declaration of independence of the constitution was written so like i i do right. take your point zach it's, it's very difficult and i had a It'd
2: be like asking a fish like a fish is going to be like what's water right um yeah um, um
1: it took me a long time. When I when I first got on Twitter and started seeing people talk about, like, liberalism and leftism, it took me probably a year and a half before I felt like I had a solid grasp on what the difference between those two actually were.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I love, like, leftist people who get so offended at being called liberals to the point that they don't even like liberals. <laughs> yeah. It it just cracks me up and and like you can, they're all Twitter's the perfect place to find them. Mm -hmm. And it's, I live for it. Um.
0: Yeah. I was telling Carrie a little bit, we were talking earlier and I was saying that was kind of the thing for me is they, they do such a good job of papering all these college kids and these like Antifa and all these people as like leftists. Right. So then you learn like maybe we're against the left, but then you meet people who are of the left that are more like-minded and you realize like maybe leftism is not necessarily the problem as much as just the people who carry out things in the name of leftism or get tagged by it, right? It's uh I don't know. It's all very it, it it's like an interesting Yeah, thing to me. I also
2: think that sometimes our our conception of like left and right or liberal and conservative is also shaped by Um, just human dynamics. And so, um, like, and by that I mean there may be issues like low taxes that you're just kind of like, well, why exactly is that conservative now Um, or whatever? And, you know, you can kind of piece together that, okay, well, this group of, you know, there was a coalition of, you know, these different segments of the population and this segment really wanted low taxes and so they teamed up with the pro-life, I mean, you know, that's it's like, these ideas aren't related, but because of the you know, forming political coalitions around elections mm-hmm. Um and then, because yeah, I just remember being like, I don't really understand why the, like you could totally mathematically support low taxes, but like, why exactly, is that conservative? Like, Mm-hmm. Like what are like, um, and so the other thing like a a, pa- a priest once in a homily with with liberalism, what he kind of said is that you know liberalism is essentially a society based around choice, yeah, um, right. at least expli- like at least that's the goal. Whereas every other system like illiberalism is based around truth even if it's like a false conception of truth like there there is not in liberalism a unifying truth mm-hmm. by design mm-hmm. and every other system whatever you know whether it's you know good or bad has a a sort of truth that society is ordered to and i guess if you want to say that liberalism has that it's it's just the choice and that that's where you'll get people things that they're very against but have majority support of the votes, they'll be like, Well, that's the best thing and it's like, Well, okay, but why? Like well, like what does it matter what sixty percent of people think if they're wrong? You know, I mean it some things we we kind of already know. So
1: I think that's a really good way of putting it, Zach, especially because once you're thinking in that way, you can really see how how much like the Zeitgeist of America is formed around choice. You can see it in the supermarket. You can see it in our Supreme Court case law decisions. You can see it in um, the way politics becomes framed. Like, we can't have health care because that that would take away people's choices. We have to have... Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> right? I always like, think
2: that's so funny. I'm like, oh, you're going to take away my Blue Cross Blue Shield? How Like, I'm <laughs> devastated by that. And you're going to give me it for free now. Like, I... I just think since I'm about to change jobs, I'm like, hey, guys, my private health care is getting taken away. um, So I don't really mind that all the candidates are like everybody (laughs) who changes jobs has their health care taken away. And then you get new ones, hopefully. But anyway, sorry.
1: That's a whole other topic. But yeah. So having one area where you saw the choice language. Go ahead.
2: Do you remember the was it Charlie Gard? Mm -hmm. One of the like. Was that the kid that was in Britain and they wouldn't release him? To his parents, or they wouldn't let him. Or was it right. Alfie Evans? Right. I think it so was both. The the rallying point for so many people was parental choice, and it was like, like it was actually Destiny who was on a few weeks ago, who's um, a pro life activist, who was like, "Guys, you're using the same language we use to justify abortion to say that we should be able to save this kid. Like, there's there's ideas beyond just choice. Like it it's actually wrong." to you know not provide medical care to a baby um, regardless of what their parents choice you know or it's right or wrong uh, regardless of what the parents choice is and it was interesting because that was obviously a rallying point for you know conservatives slash right liberals was you know oh we need and, and they do this with schools too like oh parental choice mm-hmm. is the the thing that we need
1: and vaccinations
2: Oh um, we we really try to dodge that one, Carrie. I, I know that it's mainly because like we don't have children, and so, um, and I was vaccinated though.
0: <laughs> yeah, where does the deviation with Catholicism come? It's that put on choice so much that it's like it, it takes away like the ultimate end, right?
1: Right. Well, I have. Um... I did some some research preparing for for this podcast.
0: It's nice to know that someone (laughs) at any point in this podcast has done research.
1: It was the first time I'd ever done research in my life, so Mm -hmm. we'll see see how it goes. But um, I wanted, while I'm on here, to chat with you guys about how liberalism and Catholicism are different from each other in how they view the individual, how they view property, and how they view poverty. Mm-hmm. Okay, um so first of all, we've kind of laid out how liberalism uh, views the individual, propping up the individual and their rights and their choices is the end of society. It's why we enter into social contracts and whatnot. and your your previous guest, I believe she quoted the Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, seventeen thirty where it says, God created man, a rational being, conferring on him the dignity of a person who can initiate and control his own actions. So she was saying this fits into libertarianism, where like God made man free and able to to direct his own will. And so, therefore, we have to mirror that with the it, the institutions and the governments that we set up on this earth. But I would like to point just a couple lines down in 1733 to where it says, the more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. There is no true freedom except in the service of what is good and just. The choice to disobey and do evil is an abuse of freedom and leads to the, leads to the slavery of sin. Right. So like, so right there in the catechism, just a couple lines down, our faith is proclaiming that freedom is not the ultimate good for the end of man. In fact, having the freedom to do evil is a bad thing, and it's bad for our souls.
0: Right. So, yeah, that that is basically what... Really, when we think about freedom it's not it's not the freedom to do good it's the- fr- it's basically the freedom to not not do the good, the freedom to do the wrong right so like free will it, it's the free we get confused like we, we get like we think free will is a good thing, and you know i mean i'm not necessarily going to argue against free will, but the idea is we have free will because we need in order to make the good choice, which is God. Right. Like, you don't, you, the only thing that we can control and the only thing that is truly ours is our sin. And the more, fr- the more we look towards this freedom or this free will, the more we run into the problem of sin. Like, it says right. there, it says there, the f- freedom only lies in the good. And that's because the good is God and free- true freedom lies in God. Right. Like, you, the people who, Cho- the people who choose not to choose not God are using their free will, but that's not fr- that's not what freedom nor what free will was made for.
2: Right. See, I think a good example to point to is the Garden of Eden. Um, so you know, a- Adam and Eve had free will prior to original sin, and people kind of jump to the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, realistically the the only proper like the actual exercises of their free will were in picking between the the fruits of the different good trees. The like the decision to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was not a an exercise of free will. And that, that's the idea. It was a sort of perversion of free will. Right. And that, that was the issue is that your your will is not free in those situations where it's choosing something evil and you're not, you're not given free will so that you can either sin or not sin. You're given free will because there's an abundance of ways to do good. And there's, you know, many good fruits to pick between.
1: It doesn't also matter what institutions are set up and what rules you have to follow on earth. Like no, no system of governance can take away your ability to choose freely to do good and to just try to live a virtuous life and to worship god.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I've always thought was strange because I'm like, okay guys, we we've clearly we clearly all agree that it's it's proper that there be a state, that govern man, even though liberals have their sort of weird social contract where like I guess there was this big meeting and everyone agreed to have a government and they'd give up a certain amount of freedom for this, you know, what I mean, it, which is a weird theory. Like I, we We're taught it in schools like it's, you know, just unquestionable. But if you think about it, like, there was never a social contract formed. Um, really, and so that's where I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't understand. We're talking about where the line gets drawn in most of these conversations. So when people point to free will for why governments shouldn't, you know, get involved, why a state shouldn't do X, Y, and Z, it's like, well how does that argument not also apply to you know murder like i i guess clearly we we have agreed that that the state is supposed to restrain the behavior of of people you know in at least some contexts
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm right well is that is that but that would go to like the public good right like that that was that what they would argue like murder is different because murder is something that has an actual effect on well human life as opposed to, I think the libertarian, the, the other mindset is just kind of like, if I, you know, if I don't want to wear a seatbelt, like I don't have to wear a seatbelt type thing.
1: Right. You hear the, the turn of phrase a lot that my right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. So uh, the libertarian or the liberal view of a government's role is just like an like a neutral arbiter making sure that nobody steps on anybody's toes or punches anybody's noses. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can do whatever you want as long as you're leaving other people alone.
0: Don't infringe on my rights. Do whatever you want. Just don't like just stay out of my yard type thing.
1: Right. But, but Zach is right that, um, there are plenty of, of goods in society that, um, require an arbiter like the government that happens to be a pretty good tool to do things like that. And, um, you're basically cafeteria picking what you do and don't think is, is a social evil. When you say that only X or only Y is an appropriate use of government force.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you say that, you're really just saying, yeah, like, I guess it's not cool if people are murdered, but uh, yeah, I, I am cool with people dying cuz they can't afford insulin because I don't think the government has the right to take my money to help other people pay for their health care.
2: Or to just or just step in and uh you know address the injustice specifically to do with insulin. I mean the, the insulin yes it's in theory because the I mean you know for an individual person it's because they can't pay for it but it it also shouldn't be as expensive as it is. And right you know, that's where who other than the state can do that. Um,
1: Yeah. It's like, well, maybe you don't like it, but, but the government is actually a a pretty good tool. And in a lot of cases, the only tool we have to address some of these things.
2: Well, and that was what, like we were talking about Facebook with my family and, you know, my, my family is actually a pretty politically diverse family. Um, And I was saying, you know, guys like, yeah, I think that the, the state needs to be, heavily involved in something like Facebook. And they're like, well, but... And, you know, one of my family members argued, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, created this. It's his thing. Like, why do they have a right to step in and do that? And I said, well, because Facebook has so intertwined itself into society. And at the point that you have, you know, teens killing themselves for things on Facebook and you've got people filming murders. I mean, again, like, you can't just unleash a product that has consequences for the whole of society and then not give the whole of society any recourse to address this thing. And so I'm like, and like, you, know, you can't just start your own Facebook, but also you can't, you know, you can't avoid the consequences of everybody being connected in this tool. And so that was, I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Carrie, or how that kind of, to me, that's an mm-hmm. example that's interesting. It
1: is a, it is a good example, I think, because, um, it it's sort of a a good distillation of choice because the libertarian or the liberal argument would, would be to say, well, people can choose not to be on Facebook and um, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, it's fully up to him to, to choose how he wants to regulate speech and the other issues that have emerged on that platform. Right. Whatever, like pornography, um, Mm -hmm. disinformation, propaganda, uh, leading to the, to genocide. Like all of these things have been problematic on it. Oh point. yeah.
2: And other parts are, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Not in America, but yeah, <laughs> but it's like, Oh, but thanks be to God. You know, yeah. If, if we're truly leading it up to individual choice, then the, the libertarian would argue that, well, if, if someone looked at Facebook and sees that, you know, like, it's bad for my mental health or I just shouldn't be on this platform for whatever reason. Like, oh, you have the choice to log off and not be on Facebook anymore. But it's it's a myopic way of looking at the world because there are plenty of people who, you know, maybe it's the only way to connect with their family or maybe um, it's part of their job. Or well,
2: Plus, the rest of the world is on it. So, like, you can't keep your – like, you can – the only thing you can really do is – not have a profile right. and then decide how much time you personally spend on the platform but like you cannot exempt yourself from sort of the consequences of that platform.
1: Which I I, I don't have a Facebook. I deleted it a couple years ago but it, this kind of goes, goes back to what you were saying about Starbucks right? Like if the libertarians are, are saying well if you don't like Facebook then just delete your profile. That's not going to solve for the fact that there are plenty of evils being perpetrated by Facebook's just not caring about Adequate moderation well, or, or harassment policies or anything that aren't going to be solved by people. People just aren't going to log off like that, right? Like, so there needs to be intervention.
0: Sorry to jump in. I was just going to say, I think, like, the mindset of the, well, if you don't like it, you can just delete your profile. Like, I kind of sympathetic to that from the standpoint of, like, there's nothing that requires that you be on the internet. But at the same time, it is kind of like, pushing responsibility down the road kind of is like you Mm -hmm. know if you don't it it doesn't matter if you're if this is happening just don't do it right like if it's something very bad then obviously you should want it taken care of right like if it's just if it's just schoolyard like teasing Mm -hmm. stuff that's one thing but if it's actually a legitimate thing at some point we need to kind of step up and and you know kind of it, our life is controlled like we we so desperately don't want to give big brother control over our life while, lives while we're constantly giving big brother absolute control over our lives right mm-hmm.
2: when i just think it's almost just the principle of it like even absent like examples of something facebook has done wrong it's like you say okay this thing um and i mean technically it's a good has consequences for the whole of society And we can demonstrate this in the way that, you know, X, Y, and Z happens and how it influences, you know, even elections and stuff. And for better or for worse, like, shouldn't in some way the society have a say in this thing? Or does the fact that somebody, you know, started it in their dorm room mean that we're just, we just have to let it, you know roam free and it's similar I would say to payday lenders like most people look at the payday lending thing and they see people with or just credit cards in general where they see people in this massive amount of debt and they're like well you know they shouldn't have charged up all that debt on their credit card and it's like I think people can jump into the reasons of like oh they didn't have a lot of choice they were starving or this that but I would also just say the the fact is is that um, the loose credit thing and offering people you know money for Mm -hmm. usury is going to lead to these people ending up up to uh, lots of people ending up up to their eyeballs in debt right and so why not just stop allowing that to happen like if it's strange that it's like well it was their choice and it's like right but we know that most people are going to exercise that choice in a way that's harmful so why don't we just remove the choice Mm-hmm. And then people are better off, and it's like, well, because you don't have the choice to. And it's like, that's where it's. There's like a disconnect like with a even conservatives.
0: Clinging, just a clinging to these choices like they're the only. Right. Like our most prized possessions, basically.
2: Well, right. So it's like, people are always going to. I mean, if statistically, most people are going to make harmful choices on something. Why not look into maybe removing that choice from the table?
0: Well, we already do that with Is that kind of, you know, we got rid of smoking in bars and smoking indoors, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, like it's a thing so we 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 do do these things in everyday life. We do allow these things into our lives.
1: Mhm. And it Yeah. Uh, what I, do you think, Carrie? Well, I was going to say a, a democratically elected authority that can make choices for the common good. Is better than like worshiping the god of free choice that allows, like you were saying, payday loans, predatory housing loans, abortion. If you want to go there, like valuing choice above all else and, and an individual's freedom. Like I mean, like we saw the Catechism knew it from the from the start. That allowing people freedom is in uh, as as the ultimate goal of society is freedom to do evil. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, um, we shouldn't. They- there's there's like a point where I personally like am good with freedom, but then yeah, like you said, like it if once that becomes the ultimate goal, that by proxy is bad because then your mm-hmm. ultimate goal isn't God, really. Like it's just the God of freedom. But continue. I think we already kind of hashed that out. But
1: right. Well, what the what the individual. Far be it from me to say like <laughs> there's no place for freedom in a just society, but what an individual needs is the freedom to pursue God. And this kind of cycle, this cycles back to the Catholic view of the individual, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I might quote from the catechism again, number 356, of all visible creatures, only man is able to know and love his creator. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake. And he alone is called to share by knowledge and love in God's own life. It was for this end that he was created. And this is the fundamental reason for his dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, and hear, then hear. a couple lines. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you, glad you liked it. A couple lines further down uh, number 361. This law of human solidarity and charity without excluding the rich variety of persons, cultures, and peoples assures us all that men are truly brethren. So like what I pull from this about liberalism is that the catechism is extremely clear that the end of humans uh, is relationship, right? Like we were created to be in relationship with God, to learn about God and to love God and to worship God. And by extension as his children to, to love and care for each other. Right. So Mm -hmm rather than uh, the liberal view where an individual is atomized and seen as seen as like a constructed being with rights and choices but little else, that the, the Catholic view of the human is just so fundamentally different because we are beings that exist first and foremost in relationship with each other, with obligations to each other, um, both to God and to fellow man, right? So to form a society based on our ability to choose and to... To not be forced to do anything we don't want to do is, um, in my opinion, incredibly anti, anti-Catholic anti because the real question in formulating our society is what is our duty toward God and our fellow man,
0: right. which
1: is which is something that a liberal society like can't even can't even um, conceive of that that the end of a human is to serve something outside ourselves.
0: So what if, what if these, what if people take that and they say, well, I, I'm fully on board with everyone doing what they want. And I am fully on board that we should do, you know, our final end should be God, but we need to allow people to get there. Like we need to give them like choices, allow people to get there. And we get, again, it, they it call it like, we don't want to be, we don't want to be predestined. We don't want to be pre have predestination. So we want the free will and we want, so we need to let people get there on their own. You know, like I think that would Mm -hmm. be, uh, that would be something that people would care about or want to say about that.
1: Well, I I had a, I had a libertarian use that argument, um, against me on Twitter recently. Mm. I was, I was making the argument, um, which I'm not sure how much you want to get into this. Uh, uh, talking basically about um, St. Basil's whole thing, mm-hmm. that our, our extra money and resources belong to the poor and that it is, in fact, a sin that cries out to heaven that there are so many millionaires and billionaires on, in our country and on the planet who afforded so, such wealth for themselves in the face of just staggering and growing poverty mm-hmm. um, world over and after going back and forth for a long time this guy i don't even remember his handle i don't really care was like well if if we're not letting the rich people like choose out of the good of their hearts to do um t- to donate out of charity then we're removing the opportunity for god's grace to work in their hearts which is such a bizarre argument to me because i think that you can um you can be stripped of your excess wealth and have your barns torn down, and what you have distributed to the poor, which, in my opinion, is more than just for a, for the super elite class of Americans who just live in, in staggering. Billionaires opulence. serve
2: absolutely no. Billionaires serve absolutely no uh, positive purpose in a society. There, you can talk about the productivity of millionaires, but there's absolutely no benefit to society to have people that are billionaires. Absolutely not.
1: Right. So to say that the only way God can work in a person's heart is to like nudge them by the Holy spirit to donate more to charity is to me an incredibly low and limited view of what God does in a human heart. Like God works in poor and rich alike, right? Like you don't need to have money for God to touch your heart and Mm -hmm. give you the grace to seek him. It's just such a bizarre argument to me. <laughs> this- it's
2: it is strange. The I guess just the the idea there of like because you'll that'll kind of bloom in quickly to like well if everybody would just x y z or if if everybody would just be smart with their money or everyone would just you know but it's like well okay if you're wanting everybody to do it why why exactly is the state entirely off limits in, in helping get to what you you even agree is the right outcome. Oh. Like, if, if you want everybody to just, uh, you know, not get into debt, why don't you regulate debt? Like, I don't... Then everybody mm-hmm. can't get up to their eyeballs. And anyway...
1: There's this on. really strict insistence that any kind of alleviation of the suffering of the poor has to come from private charity. And they usually will cite reasons that like the state is inefficient or um, taxation is theft neither of which seemed little well, taxation is not theft because it's actually an extremely biblical biblical idea that we pool our resources in order to help those who are suffering right yeah
0: i think the the yeah the, the theft part can come from just the gross misuse of public funds but like that's a that's like a separate saying, right?
1: Yeah. No, I'm totally with you yeah, there. I think
0: it's like people, you,
2: you, you can gin people up on all sorts of passions, and I think one of them is like kind of greed, but also just fear, and that's where you're like, you know, we're taking your money, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, you'll point out to people that poverty is, you know, not actually... You're like homelessness, for instance, like we don't actually have to have homelessness. Like we clearly and, and people are like, well, yeah, but you'll you know, you'll always have the poor among you. And it's like, yeah, but we clearly have dwelling spaces for everybody. You know, like we've got enough indoor space for everyone. Right. And It's like and then they meet like, well, but if you just give people houses, then everyone will quit working, which is an interesting argument because it's stupid but also it undermines the whole you'll always have the poor thing it's like yeah. so again you're agreeing that it is a choice that we allow homelessness so that everybody else works but like but when you it always oh well, they'll always be the poor among you and it's like really guys like homelessness is a policy decision that has been made and it could be changed it absolutely you know? it
1: absolutely is and for for the, lib, for the libertarian or the or for some liberal perspective to be um, to be that taking to higher taxes on the, the billionaires and millionaires uh, to, in order to provide health care and to provide uh, stronger food um, security benefits for families or a child allowance, which is incredibly effective at reducing child poverty. And all that.
2: Where I mean, everybody loves to talk about Poland and Hungary and, like, you, you see a lot of the kind of right-wingers. And it's like, you know what happens when you have a baby in those countries? You get money. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't...
1: Right. So, when you say that poverty requires a charitable solution, what you're saying is that the suffering of the poor, as it currently lies, is just. Because if if you want the government's job to be to be adjudicating justice, right and yet you don't think the government should step in to aid the poor, then you're saying what the poor are currently suffering right now at this level, not affording insulin, dying of homelessness, dying of hunger, that that system is okay with me, and people can kind of just donate to it as they see fit. And I tried a million times over on Twitter recently to like get this across to somebody that, like, look, if you don't think that Uh, poverty as it currently stands requires a policy solution then you're saying that you don't think poverty is an issue of justice and they were like well no i i don't i don't think poverty is great i just think people should you know donate out of the goodness of their hearts but we don't ask we don't ask murderers to like wait for god's grace to touch their hearts and turn themselves in right Mm-hmm. We say, no, that's a matter of justice. Like, you killed somebody and you need to you need to be subjected to our criminal justice system.
2: Well, and to say that people should starve so that you can do a good deed, it's like, it's dumb. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, not to just be blunt about it, but, like, if you're saying that there there needs to be people just in misery so that you have people to do good deeds towards... It's like, right. again, these, these people are not, they're not pawns in your moral development story.
1: No, they're absolutely not. So another thing that catechism talks about is the universal destination of goods, where basically, as Catholics, I mean, what, like a tenant of our faith is that God has given us the world and its incredible resources, but there's a limited number of those resources, right? There's plenty for everybody, but there's not an infinite amount of them. And so we need to be judicious in the way that we parcel them out, right? To make sure that there's enough for everyone. And this that's just part of our duty towards each other. Mm-hmm. But it's its not happening very well at all in the way that we see the world right now. But St. Basil would say that making sure that every human has enough to eat and has a place to sleep and has clothes and you know, can live a life at some sort of baseline level of dignity, that that's not like... That's not up to a philanthropist deciding like, oh yeah, I think I can, I think I can swing another couple thousand mosquito nets or whatever. Like that's an actual issue of justice and that, um, justice is not being served until everyone has that level of dignity. And then beyond that, you could look into what charity means as like gifting out of the goodness of your hearts to elevate someone whose station in life is not as good as yours. But that, like, donating so that people can have food isn't charity. That's justice.
2: Right. Like, people... And it's interesting, though, because people are, in other sort of ways, comfortable... Or or comfortable with the fact that the government is supposed to sort of ensure their justice, Mm -hmm. you know, in certain matters. And when they believe that an injustice has been inflicted upon them you know they call the police they ex- you know they expect the police to show up or they expect the judge to uh, you know get fix things they expect you know uh, they expect the state in its various um organs to intervene and restore justice when it's a whole slew of things you know theft mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff but when it comes to like having enough food to eat, at that point it's like, oh, that's that's just like too far. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, so we have a whole, you know, we have a whole court system specifically to deal with like small claims. And we're like, well, okay, so we're saying that it's so necessary to have, so that people, you know, for tiny matters can have justice restored. You know, why are we uncomfortable or why do we see it as inconsistent to think that, yeah, the the state being the, the most effective you know the largest, you know,
1: right? With the power of the sword, yeah. Like,
2: why can't it get involved in? Right, it guarantees our justice in in certain things. So why why exactly does the line get drawn in such a way that food is outside of that line?
1: Right, food or health care or housing. Here's the the catechism again, number uh, twenty four oh three. The right to private property, acquired or received in a just way, does not do away with the original gift of the earth to the whole of mankind. The universal destination of goods remains primordial, even if the promotion of the common good requires respect for the right to private property and its exercise. In his use of things, man should regard the external goods he legitimately owns not merely as exclusive to himself but common to others also, in the sense they can benefit others as well as himself. The ownership of any property makes its holder a steward of providence with the task of making it fruitful and communicating its benefits to others, first of all his family. The seventh commandment forbids theft, that is, usurping another's property against the reasonable will of the owner. There is no theft if consent can be presumed or if refusal is contrary to reason and the universal destination of goods. This is the case in obvious and urgent necessity when the only way to provide for immediate essential needs Food shelter clothing is to put at one's disposal and use the property of others
0: basically if if the world has run out of money and Jeff Bezos has all his money on his on his yacht, we by Catholic law, we are allowed to storm him and take all of his money.
1: yes, Matt, that is exactly what the catechism says here. It's crazy the people who are like, "Oh, like this happens over and over on Twitter. The libertarians are like oh, so you want to solve poverty by gunpoint. And I'm like, yes, I actually do because people's right to have food and clothing and shelter and healthcare is a million times more important than like your right to like put away money to repaint your yacht or whatever. It just blows my mind <laughs> that people... Right, so they... Go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I was gonna say it It, it does sound... I, I I do really want to live in a world where... We leave charity up to everybody because we know that people will do the right thing and will give to these charities, right mm-hmm. like I really do wish that that was the case, but it's just not based on what we know about original sin and what we know about human nature is the The mindset of well, we have to let private charity fix it will continue to be the mindset for a very long time now there are There are good charities that do amazing work. So it's not like, I'm not saying that to say that charity is a myth created by the, you know, by the Masons, but it, it really charity does exist and charity does do good things, but just human nature will not, at some point we're just fallen people and we we just will never live up to the standard that we will set for ourselves in that realm. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. That's kind of a, another weird instance where liberalism is antithetical to Catholicism, because like, if you think about it, if you want to have a good and functional society at all, liberals are required to be humanists of some sort, right? Because you have to believe that mm-hmm. people are going to like more often than not choose the good. And I mean I believe in the in the good of people but I also believe in original sin and I believe in like a fundamental human <laughs> avariciousness that requires some sort of governing body to um to step in and intervene such so that we don't totally abandon our obligations to one another which is kind of happening now because our our political system is not conducive to that sort of Intervention for the good. We're trying a little bit in some ways, but it's it's real, it's been difficult to get traction in things like um healthcare for all and whatnot.
0: Right. All right, on that note, we're getting kinda of long. Before we keep blabbing and people start <laughs> tuning us out, uh we'll pick it up and we'll talk as a, a cliffhanger, we'll talk poverty next and the idea of just what poverty is and what, what's going on there. Um, it'll be good. It'll be a good conversation. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you want to say to the lovely listening audience?
1: Um, hopefully you'll be able to look for my first piece in the Catholic Herald around when this podcast comes out, it might actually be a good segue into part two, whenever that, whenever that airs of this conversation on poverty. Cause I think the whole thing sort of dovetails together really nicely.
0: Yeah. Do you want, do you, or you want to say what your piece is about or you want people to go look for it
1: uh, I'll say you know a, a super brief intro is that it's about school lunch debts and why in you know ideally illiberal society they just would never exist because all children would be able to eat free lunch
0: Yeah the cat two two out of three people have been published in the Catholic Herald here so <laughs> I really need to pick up the slack all right, but yeah, go check out Raising Helmix, the lovely podcast where Carrie and Kyle just talk about their family and talk about life, and it's it's very good. It's go if you listen. Go a few months ago, they did an episode on YouTube, which is legitimately all their podcast content is good content, but that is also legitimately very good podcast content.
1: Thanks, Matt. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on here to to rant and get get all crazy eye
0: <laughs> of course that's the way we like it uh, yeah well uh thanks for coming on and we will talk to you all next week
1: sounds good good night everybody